And welcome on in to the latest edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. As always, he is George Bremer. I am Ryan Hickey. It is a Thursday morning, which means, George, game preview podcast. John McClain, the great John McClain, who joined us last year, and I thought got the season off to the perfect start, saying before the Colts-Texans week one matchup in 2022, hey, only way the Colts lose this game is they get food poisoning on Saturday night, can't, make up, uh, can't show up to the stadium. And it wasn't wrong, right? He was not wrong in the sense that the Colts did not lose the game Week number one last year, but we do know uh, that was a, uh, we'll say, inauspicious start to the season and a foreshadowing of things to come for sure. So we got John coming on here in about 15 minutes or so to preview things from the Houston perspective. Two interesting notes here I want to kind of get into, George, because both teams are kind of, for the first time in a long time, in similar spots uh, going into this game. We saw in week number one, right, Anthony Richardson played well. But the big takeaway or one of the big talking points was no one else really was able to step up around him and make consistent plays. Going into week two, and that's usually in the NFL where you see the biggest jump, right? They always say from week one to week two is where you truly see the most improvement. So with that said, George, where do you think we'll see the most improvement on this Colts team in sun, uh, on Sunday, I should say, in Houston? Is it running back, receiver, somewhere defensive? Like, where are you expecting the biggest jump in production um, for this Colts team here in week number two? I have an inkling where you're going, so I'm going to go in kind of a different direction, I think. Uh, I'm going to go with the defensive line because – and it's not so much the jump as it is kind of a prove-it game. You have a good game in week one, and and, and you exceed expectations, and people want to know in this league, okay, can you do it week in and week out? And so I think you've got a banged-up offensive line over there in Houston. You've got a a situation that's ripe for the picking. Uh, they got a lot of pressure on Trevor Lawrence. They didn't always get him on the ground, uh, but I think they were able to, to cause some of those problems that, that led to the fourth down situations that, that the Texans weren't able to convert that led to, you know, two turnovers and, and uh, also two more turnovers on downs. And and now I think, can you take that step forward? Can you have Baltimore? I think got five sacks last week against the Texans. Can you match that number? Can you exceed that number? You know, can, can you go out there? And, and so if I depend on one guy, I think Quiddy Pay is that guy, right? It's his year uh, to come off the edge, be that monster. I think he did a good job uh, against Jacksonville. He was, we talked about it before, when he's on the field and he's healthy, he's usually one of the high pressure guys in this league. Now, can he get there and, and get CJ Stroud on the ground? But even if, if he doesn't, can he push him into DeForest Buckner? Can he push him into Grover Stewart? Uh, will you see a little bit more blitzing? You know, will, will Gus Bradley be a little more aggressive? Will Shaq Leonard get a sack on Sunday? You know, Zaire Franklin get a sack on Sunday? EJ Speed get a sack on Sunday? I think Kenny Moore, you know, we, we haven't seen that in a while. So to me, the defense needs to eat. Uh, they need to get these sacks. And, and I think they need to prove because it's, the NFL has always been a what have you done for me lately league. A lot of optimism coming off that game against Jacksonville. Now you've got a Houston team that's a little more ripe for the picking. Can you go out and dominate this offense and, and really stamp yourself as a defense to keep an eye on this year? And you're right about that. There's no excuse. Right? For this defensive line, and really this front seven, in terms of getting consistent pressure on C.J. Stroud, even if you don't get sacks, but make him run for his life and make him throw the ball either away or throw it in the traffic or throw it before he wants to, like you have to make C.J. Stroud's life hell. And like you said, I mean, this is, we'll get John's take in a little bit, but this offense line is banged up, man. Banged up going into that game against Baltimore, banged up coming out of it, banged up in training camp. Like, this is a, where I thought the Colts, honestly, George, did a pretty good job of at least getting consistent pressure for the most part on Trevor Lawrence, not making him comfortable. This has to be against, obviously, a better offense line in Jacksonville. You have to now capitalize, uh, like I said, and get some legitimate pressure. And really, too, get legitimate pressure with just the front four, um, with, with how with where the talent discrepancy is so much in the Colts' favor, you have to go out there and win that battle. And on that note, too, George, how about make some game-changing plays? Like the Colts were a ball hawking secondary. Um, I thought on Sunday against a better quarterback and a better uh, receiver unit, skill position unit, where they did get a pick. Right, yeah, Tony Brown get that nice interception of Trevor Lawrence. Almost had another near interception when the ball just hit the ground. As like they were around the ball on Sunday against the Jags. This should be a situation where they absolutely should be around the ball and force multiple turnovers because whether it's getting C.J. Stroud to the ground and strip sack or force him to throw the ball early, you should be around the ball and, and there should be a lot of close calls and, and probably multiple turnovers in this one. Yeah, look at last week, two turnovers, two more turnovers on downs and two turnovers that were 
uh, taken away on on review. So that was a you know a really active day, uh, and and they've got to they've got to match that again. And like I said, I, I think that's one of the toughest things. We talked about that jump from week one to week two, and that's certainly if you struggled, you need to to come up and and show that that you can improve and you know get get it done in the areas that, that you weren't able to in week one. But I think even when you had a good week, it's just one week, and people want to see can you come back and and follow it up. And in this case, when the challenge on paper is not as as steep as it was a week ago, I think they've got to match their performance, not match their performance. I think they've got to have a better performance on Sunday than they even had against Jacksonville. DeForest Buckner got a touchdown last week. Could we get a Grover Stewart touchdown this week? Uh, if 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 we do, that might be the only thing the postgame pod's about. <laughs> else about the game will be discussed, just the Grover Stewart touchdown, no matter what the score was. They could lose 45 to seven. All we're talking about is Grover Stewart's touchdown. His, I'm sure what will be an epic celebration. If he does find pay dirt uh, and maybe hopefully to maybe a spin move along the way. Hopefully it's not like one of those, you fall in the end zone. You get maybe kind of like buck little run after the fumble, maybe a 15 yard run, hit a little spin move as well. Make a little, you know, make it pretty, make it pretty. Uh, that's for sure. But that might be the season highlight right there, George. And all we talk about the rest of the year, if Grover and buck find the end zone and <laughs> back-to-back weeks to say the least um you're going defense line i like that one i'll go with the biggest shot for week number one week number two it's got to be the receivers right it has to be the receivers look if you're a michael Pittman jr and you want to obviously go into a contract you know he's in a contract year i should say this has got to be a game where even though Derek Stanley's a good corner this is a banged up secondary you got to now take advantage you got to now go into t.y hilton's house and honor your former teammate having a big time performance here and really kind of showing you, look, you can rely on me. Week number one, you had a nice, okay, a nice 39 yard touchdown. It was on a screen, so it's, and it was great blocking. So it's not like it was kind of one of those, he willed it by himself. Also, too, outside of that one play, you didn't really see him show up a lot until the end of the game. And that last drive, look, you're down by 10 points. The Jaguars playing prevent defense. It's not like if you get three or four catches on that drive, it was that big of a deal. Step up here in week number two, whether it's Alec Pierce as well who was basically MIA outside of one catch. Josh Jones, who started hot in the first quarter, then kind of sizzled out. You need at least one receiver, George, to not only step up, but step up consistently, where it's not just, oh, he was good for one drive or good for one quarter. How about good throughout the entire game here, where AR can truly kind of rely on that guy throughout you know the duration of the game, something that was desperately missing in week number one. And based on the matchup and based on, too, like the talent on this offense, you should have your way or win one-on-one battles more times than not against this Texan secondary. In fairness, even Pittman wasn't that impressed with, with his screen pass touchdown. He told me after the game that all he had to do was run straight. Everything was there for him, and all he had to do was you know run straight. Now, I do think that might be the fastest we've seen him run in, in a Colts uniform. That's true. He was flying on, on that one. I think at one point they put up on the scoreboard that that was the fastest uh, speed that was recorded. Uh, and the second one was at some point Richardson, I'm guessing probably on the 12 yard run, uh, because that's where he got the most chance to, to, to get ahead of steam. Uh, but that'll be an interesting thing to watch, you know, throughout this year is, is the speed that, that Richardson can reach. Um, because you really can get one of those 30 or 40 yard runs. Some of that, I wonder if there was the knee injury early, you know, Shane said that, that he didn't really think that it affected play calling, but you want to, it had to, you know, on, on some level, uh, when your quarterback gets banged up that early in the game, uh, you had to be thinking at least a little bit, uh, taking that into to account the rest of the way. Uh, but the other thing that this I can said that I think is germane to to you know this conversation, he felt like he needed to to be more intentional, getting Pierce and, and Pittman involved early in the game, and getting the offense you know something to hang its hat on early in the game, rather than you know kind of taking what you're giving you early on and and then you know that kind of becomes a habit and and you do it throughout the the contest. I think they want to be. Uh, more intentional, take those shots early. And, and maybe maybe even that gets Houston to change its mind about how it wants to play you. Uh, but if nothing else, gets you some confidence early on, gets that juice for the offense. You've seen that, you know, over the years. Somebody comes out early on, one of the first couple drives, and gets that big play. I mean, it's part of the reason this is T.Y. Hilton's house, is he was known for doing that early in the game against the Texans. Get some early big touchdown, and all of a sudden, everybody's like, here we go again. You know, your side's thinking that, their side's thinking that, the fans are thinking that, probably the officials are thinking that at that point. So you really need to get that that sort of, even if it's just, 
a quick hitter that that's you know 25 30 yards on a slant to somebody something early on that at least puts the thought in D'Amico Ryan's head you know what maybe playing the way Jacksonville did isn't necessarily going to be the best outcome for us and it sounds like too I think Shane Seikin's in the right headspace for this it sounds like he's going to go into this game passing to open up the run I think that's the way you got to do it because again you look to the run game look to the Texans' credit, they did a good job of limiting the Baltimore Ravens' run game in week number one. So it's not going to be a situation, even if Zach Moss returns, where I think you're just going to hand the ball off and get five yards of carry. It's going to be where you're going to probably pass the ball early. I mean, they had three pass attempts right on the first drive of, of Richardson's career uh, to open the game last week against Jacksonville. So they tried to, I think, pass the ball early to set up the run. And you're going to need to try to spring, like you said, a big play here to now all of a sudden try to have the Texans focus more on the pass and try to open up the run game. The Texans, that's probably the strength of their team is their front four, at least defensively. And they did a good job, like I said, limiting the Colts' run game, uh, excuse me, the Ravens' run game last week. You look at, you mentioned the Richardson injury, the knee injury. That's one where, again, 10 carries is a good amount, George. Like, you can't have Richardson being the primary rusher on this team each and every week. And hopefully, if he's able to pass to set up the run, that opens up a little bit more holes for whether it's Zach Moss, whether it's Deion Jackson, we'll see how, you know, what his role is here in week number two. It should be limited and assume it will be limited. Jake Funk, now that he got the elevation off the practice squad, he'll get some carries as well and get some burn. Um, don't know if we'll see a lot of Tyler Goodson here uh, in week number one, but I'll tell you this story, or week number two, if he runs well and he's averaging anything more than two yards a carry, I'll start call, calling him Tyler Godson because you know what? That's a, that's a Godson right now for this running game with how bad it was in week one. I, I think I said this on, on the last pod, if not, I meant to. Uh, you know, a low bar for this team, no doubt. But the, the running backs just outrush the defensive line would would be a, a step forward here. That would, and you you may have to pass early, uh, early in the game too to to get that uh run game opened up and to get it to where you are outrushing your defensive line. But whatever it takes, please, like I said, get any semblance of a run game with your running backs, and that will be considered a week number two success. Uh, one more thing before we welcome John to the pod, George, and that is this. Both this team, we kind of mentioned before, both teams are in a similar situation for the first time in a long time. Rookie head coaches, rookie quarterbacks, both taking on the top five. I know it's a little tough because the Texans are banged up, but overall, George, going to this game, who do you think is in the better position to succeed? Is it CJ Stroud with the Texans or Anthony Richardson with the Colts? I mean, looking at week one, I think you got to go with Richardson. Just the fact that, that he looked more comfortable. You know, I, I think he wasn't running for his life. And, and something that you were kind of concerned about going in. How's this offensive line going to look? How's this going to play out together? And he didn't look uh, out of place. He didn't look like a guy play, making his first career start. I'll say that. Uh, you know, there was a lot of talk throughout the preseason. Did he play enough? Did he need to play more? You know, he looked ready. From that standpoint, to me, you know, he looked calm back there. He looked like he was in control. Um, obviously there, there needs to be guys around him making more plays. We've been talking about that, uh, for weeks, <laughs> you know, that, that if, if you've got a rookie quarterback, the guys around him have got to be that much better because you can't make an error and make his life, you know, more difficult. Uh, I thought they cleaned up some of the problems that we saw, uh, in the preseason in terms of penalties. There, there was one big one, uh, that the wiped out Evan Hall's run that would have been the, the longest run by a running back. Uh, but it wasn't happening as, as consistently as it did at times during the preseason uh, where, you know, you just couldn't get any forward momentum because all of a sudden here came a flag. Uh, they, they did a decent job in the red zone. They just didn't get there probably as much as, as, as they would want to. Uh, they, they were falling short, honestly, at midfield. And I think that was surprising to me. Uh, their bigger struggles were, you know, getting third down conversions and fourth down conversions between the 20s. Um, which I would not have expected coming in. So I, I just think when you look at at the total package out there, the defense played better than expected. It looked like Richardson fit into what they want to do. And now the question more is, you know, can these guys around him give him a little more help? On the other side, C.J. Stroud was, you know, and there's reasons for this, running for his life most of that game. Uh, and, you know, that's – you just never want your rookie quarterback to be in in, in that spot. I know it's tough because the Texans' O-line is banged up. Like I said, that's part of the reason why, especially in week one, they're running for their life. But even if they were healthy, I still think Richardson's in the better situation. Like I, like I said it on draft day, I really thought out of the three quarterbacks um, that went in the, in the top four picks, like I thought Houston was in the worst spot of the three just because like look at the offensive line outside of Larry Tunsil, not very talented. 
like outside receiver wise, like, you know, you like, honestly, the biggest buzz, cause I do follow a lot of Houston, you know, talk show hosts and Houston B reporters. Cause at least for the station I work with Odyssey, we have a lot, we have a big Houston affiliation. And a lot of those guys come on our, our national radio show a lot. So, and the guy they were talking about the most George was tank Dell. And so if we're, I mean, if you're talking about a rookie receiver being like the, the number one option or the safety blanket for CJ Stroud in training camp and in the preseason, that's a concern because again, you're still talking about a rookie receiver and a rookie quarterback. If you don't have any sort of veteran presence there and they brought in Dalton Schultz and they have, you know, Robert Woods, but it's like, these guys are not game breakers or I would say like, you know, truly essential, um, reliable players. And you kind of saw in week number one, they didn't make that big of a, of an impact along with the defense that is, is young and banged up. And a first-time offense coordinator, Bobby Slowick, that, again, part of that maybe was him just the offense line running for his life uh, and not allowing Stroud to have any sort of, you know, be able to set up in the pocket and make reads defensively because he just gets the ball and running. Um, but I thought they were really conservative on offense in week number one, George, um, in terms of no deep shots, really kind of running the ball, kind of giving up a lot of screens. Like, they were, at least, again, from my outside perspective, it seemed like they were asking C.J. Stroud not to lose the game and we're worried about putting the ball in his hands. I just don't think the Texans right now have enough talent on either side of the ball. Um, and even game plan-wise, I do trust Shane Seiken with his track record right now in both L.A. and in, in Philly of developing young quarterbacks to script the right game plan for Richardson to have success. So even though he was the biggest, we'll say, project, right, and the guy with the most question marks coming out of the draft, I think it's honestly Stroud, which is the one that, especially year number one, I expect to have the worst year out of the three. No, you know, I, I think there's a lot, you know, to be said for that because of what's around them. And I think, you know, along those same lines, that synergy with your coach and, and with the offensive system, that that's something that's been in Anthony Richardson's favor since, you know, since draft day, because uh, everybody makes that, that same parallel. Shane Steichen, what he did in Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts and how that can translate now to what he's doing with Anthony Richardson. You don't have that synergy right now in Houston. You know, have you know a similar offense that you know, or, or even uh, office coordinator who or a head coach who's who's developed a rookie quarterback before. I mean, in addition to the fact that Sykin's most recent history is, is with a young Jalen Hurts, he was in L.A. to, to you know for a rookie uh, quarterback out there and Justin Herbert and uh, a rookie of the year season for him. So you know, I, I think those things are definitely major bonuses for Anthony Richardson right now. The fact that you've got coaches around you that have done this, even Jim Bob Cooter was with Trevor Lawrence last year in Jacksonville was with Jalen Hurts the year before that in Philadelphia. So you've got guys around him. Um, Cam Cameron, the uh, not Cam Cameron, <laughs> Cam Turner, Cam Turner. That's Cam much better. Cameron. Nice throwback. Mine's on IU right now. You know, I guess I, what, what can I say? We're talking Big Ten, and you know, here we go. Uh, but no, uh, Cam Turner, he has history with Kyler Murray throughout his you know early part of his career in Arizona. All these guys, all these voices in Anthony Richardson's head are guys who have already had success developing young quarterbacks somewhere else. And I, I don't see how that can be anything but an advantage for him. I'm with you. The last thing I'll say here is this, George. Look, I'm not going to make this bigger than it is. It's a week two game, and it's a second career start for both Richardson and Stroud. So I'm not going to sit here and making sweeping judgments of, oh, whoever plays better is going to have a better career. And if Richardson throws for 400 yards in week two, he's guaranteed to be a Hall of Famer. And if he stinks, his career is a bust, right? It's, in the grand scheme of things, this game is not going to have that big of an impact on the success or failure of both Stroud and Richardson. With that said, though, Again, I would expect, I think it would be disappointment, George, if we're talking on Sunday after the game, live on YouTube, by the way, subscribe to the Blue Horseshoe Podcast on YouTube because that is where every single post-game show will be located. We'll go live after every game, um, after that shameless plug. But I will say, like, if we're talking Sunday, George, after the game um, about C.J. Stroud outplaying Anthony Richardson for one week and for that day, I would say it's a uh, big disappointment. Absolutely. Given what they've got coming in, given the challenges they're facing, uh, but, you know, the other part of this that we really haven't talked about um, is the first road game for the Colts. And so that'll be interesting to see how they react to that as well. You know, and the Texans, I'm sure, are going to be fired up. Everybody is for their home opener. You know, that that's just the way it goes. You, you get into your your house and uh, you got a new quarterback and a new head coach and people, I'm sure, are going to be excited about that. So uh, from, from a Colts standpoint, can you go in and, and handle that kind of environment? They went to Philly. I think that's one thing that should help them. They already went to Philly. You're not going to see worse than that. So 
but this is, you know, we, we've seen Richardson throughout his young career here show maturity, show leadership, be sort of from a mental standpoint, from a attitude standpoint, work ethic standpoint, be beyond his years. You know, will that show up again in, in his first road game? I think that's something to watch. I was just going to say, I honestly think the Philly crowd on that Thursday night preseason finale is going to be more hostile than Sunday. I mean, they, they normally are. It's Philly. I mean, that, that's, you know, um, right. you're talking about a rookie quarterback who went in there and, and, and mocked their touchdown celebration. So um, I wouldn't think that he's going to be rattled by this, but it's one of those things that you don't know for sure until you see it, you know, play out in, in, in real time. That Philly game could come back to be a, a, a benefit, like I said, where just Houston crowd, even when the, when the team's been good, it's you don't exactly talk about going down to Houston as being a tough environment to play. And even with a domed stadium, still again, not, you know, a situation that's hostile environment, let's say to uh, say the least there. Um, we will welcome in John McClain next. Hey, I mean, he's really George, Mr. Mr. Texas covering yeah. the NFL for almost 50 years, all over the Houston scene, radio, podcasting, writing. He does it all. So he is a, a great um, a great resource to uh, to hop on here and give us some of the Texans' insight. Um, so we'll talk to John next right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod. All right, time to go behind enemy lines. We welcome back the great John McClain, who hosts the Utopia Football Podcast, does tremendous work with Sports Radio 610 down in Houston, really is Mr. Texans. John, welcome back to the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Guys, it's great to be back. Thank you. I'm full-time radio now. I write five columns a week for sportsradio610.com where there's no paywall. Do three of those Utopia football podcasts and make six appearances a week. And uh, fortunately, I get to write about the Astros as well as the Texans. That way I can write about a winner. I was just going to say, yeah, for both these teams, really, not much winning uh, recently. Definitely not much winning going on this year for sure. You are a very busy man. Uh, to say the least. And it's funny because we had John last year, right before the season started, Colts expectations were high. I remember you joked about how the only way the Colts lose that game week one of 2022 is if they get food poisoning and have a bad meal on Saturday night. Well, as we know, the tie happened week one. Colts season went right down the chute from there. And only one win separated these two teams last year. This year, right, new head coaches for both squads, new quarterbacks now for both squads. Going into this week two matchup, John, this season, who right now would you say is the better team? Is the Colts or the Texans? And I was right that the Colts didn't lose that game last year. You were right. You were right. <laughs> Lovey Smith got a lot of criticism for not going for two to try to win the game instead of kicking. But um, um, And then, of course, they won that last game, which cost them the first pick in the draft. But right now, they're really happy with C.J. Stroud. If this game were in Indy, which it'll be at the end of the year, I'm sure I'll pick the Colts here. I'm going to pick the Texans by probably three points, low scoring and boring. Texans scored nine points in the first game. Of course, Colts had 21 uh, of the three rookie quarterbacks. Richardson had the best game. Stroud was second and Bryce Young was third. Uh, I have a column that's posted on our website this morning about the two quarterbacks are really good friends except for Sunday. And Stroud goes back talking about he's no Richardson since high school. And I mean, he really likes him. He didn't even call him Anthony, he called him Ant and uh, his his dog Ant and his boy Ant. And uh, it's it's clear that they have, or at least on Stroud's part, and I'm guessing Richardson feels the same way, a real closeness. And the fact they know this is the first of two games for what should be many, many years unless one bombs out. So it's going to be fun. You know, usually two bad teams nobody's paying any attention to, but because it's Stroud, second, the second overall pick, and Richardson, fourth overall pick, with new coaches and Shane Steichen and D'Amico Ryans, I'm really looking forward to this game. Yeah, Richardson had much the same things to say uh, in a locker room yesterday about CJ, how far they go back, how, how deep that relationship is. Uh, how he's rooting for him every every game except for obviously the two that they play each other. Uh, one thing I'm wondering, you brought in D'Amico Ryan's obviously uh, one of the more coveted head coaches of this cycle. Uh, defense sometimes, you know, it takes a while to build that. You got a new system, you got to get your guys, the right guys in, in place. How have you seen that developing? Where is that process? You know, one week in, into it so far. 
The Texans' biggest weakness over the last four years when they've been pathetic has been their run defense. It's been terrible. Last year, it was the worst in the NFL by far. You know, Jonathan Taylor used to kill them, and they're so glad he's on PUP. And they allowed against the Ravens. I picked the Ravens to win the Super Bowl. I wanted to be a little different. And even though they won 25-9, Lamar Jackson, he, he threw for 179 yards. He uh, had an interception, defense forced two turnovers. Will Anderson Jr. had a sack, six hurries, two hits on the quarterback, and he was very disruptive, created an interception with his pressure. And we knew he was going to be good when they traded up to the third pick to get him. And their defense was so much better against the run, 110 yards, 3.5 carry. If you take away Jackson's 38 yards on scrambles, the running backs averaged 2.3 yards carry. So that was very, very encouraging. And uh, so here they come against the Colts, we all believe. As you guys saw in the first game, Richardson will be the leading rusher again. That's not what you want, but, the, you know, a lot of times you have that. Stroud ran four times for 20 yards. He didn't like to run, but he did out of necessity. And so I thought the defense was better. Secondary played well. Derek Stingley Jr. was tremendous. And uh, Jalen Petrie, a great young safety, uh, he had he blitzed twice and hit guys and ended up with a bruised lung, had to spit out blood, had to spend the night in uh, Baltimore. He's okay. I don't think he'll play in this game. They're saying he's day-to-day. I'll be stunned if he does. But right now, D'Amico Ryans, who makes the calls on defense, that side of the ball, they're a lot better. You mentioned the defense, John, and you're right. I was watching that game. I was very impressed with how the, the Texans defense played, limiting Lamar Jackson both, like I said, in the run game and the pass game. For the Colts, you mentioned, I mean, kind of similar numbers with the Ravens running the ball outside of their quarterback. I think it was 1.5 yards per carry for a Colts running back in their week one game against the Jaguars. You mentioned a little injuries, especially with Jalen Petrie in the secondary. If you're Shane Syke and you're Anthony Richardson going to this game on Sunday, where is the weak point, if you will, on the Texans defense? Is it an area where you want to try to pass the ball more? Or is this still an area where, even though they had a good rush defense in week one, it's an area maybe the Colts could try to um, take advantage of in week two? They prefer to get pressure with a four-man front, but Ryan's dialed up some blitzes too. And he was it was very interesting when he did it because he seemed to catch Lamar Jackson off guard, which would be interesting because Jackson's an experienced veteran quarterback, even though he hadn't played in a while because he had injuries at the end of last season. And I think this, uh, when Ryan's was the defensive coordinator at San Francisco the last two years, he had replaced Robert Sala, and their defense was great. But he had a lot of talent. They put all their high picks up front. At linebacker and secondary, he had mid to, mid to low round picks starting and playing well. And here they have uh, Will Anderson Jr. As, a, as the third overall pick. And he's tremendous. He is the leading candidate to be defensive player of the year, according to Vegas. B. John Robinson, running back from Atlanta, is favored to be offensive player of the year. And But if Petrie's out, Jimmy Ward, their other starting safety, is out for a second game in a row uh, with a hip injury. That means they're playing two backup safeties. I try to get the ball down the field. I was watching, you know, a little bit of the offense and, and obviously talking with the, the Colts, you know, this week. Uh, one thing that they seem to be really concerned about is how quickly C.J. Stroud gets rid of the ball, you know, how quickly he makes his read and uh, gets the ball out. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence has been known for that throughout his career, and, and Jacksonville had a really high completion percentage on Sunday. Uh, do you think C.J. has been able to carry that over, you know, so far to the pro game, that, that kind of quick mind and quick release? There's a reason for that because he's playing behind a really bad offensive line. The ta- I've, I wrote a column that's also on our website about I've never seen this early in the year in my 47 years covering the NFL, a team that's had so many injuries with guys on IR this early in the season. They had they had they lost the starting center with a torn ACL. They lost their le- he's out for the year. They lost their left guard for the year with soldier surgery, last preseason game. They're on their third right tackle. They're on their third center. They're a second-round pick, Juice Scruggs, who was starting. He's on IR. And uh, right tackle, Titus Howard, 
who had signed a contract extension. He got hurt the first week of training camp, broken hand. He's on IR. So they're like calling everybody but Bruce Matthews and Mike Munchak to see if they can play in the offensive line. So new offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick, a Kyle Shanahan protege, he came with D'Amico Ryans. He makes the calls. They struggled to get uh, get the play in in the huddle. First half, they were out of timeouts with 8.14 left, and uh, they struggled in the second. That was one of the things that D'Amico Ryan said they had to work on this week is they had to be better when they're in the huddle just getting up to the line of scrimmage and getting the play called. But once the play was called, Stroud was all about getting rid of the ball fast out of necessity. Sometimes, like he had a long, a deep sack. He averaged almost 10 yards on five sacks because he couldn't even plant his foot to throw the ball away. Jadavion Clowney was unblocked several times, and the the Ravens up front not only played well, but they confused. It wasn't Stroud. It seemed to be the linemen with some of their blitzes. They picked up some of the wrong guys, and there was one strip sack, the only turnover. That was in the fourth quarter. My guy had never played right tackle, had to go in, and he just got abused, and uh, Stroud never had a chance. But one of the things Stroud has to improve on is getting rid of the ball so he doesn't take sacks for a lot of yards. You know, Richardson had four for eight yards, so he knows how to do it. But uh, Chris Strasser, who you guys know very well, I'll guarantee you this is not what he signed up for, all these injuries. It's kind of like what he had last year with the Colts. Say the least there, John. Speaking of injuries, I saw Larry Tunsil miss practice on Wednesday. It looks like at least right now as we record this Thursday morning, question before the game. Do you expect him to play? I expect him to play. Tunsil's their best player, and not just their best lineman, but their best player. Uh, their left guard will be a guy, free agent, didn't play anything with special teams last year at Miami. Their centers, the rookie six-round pick, who's just started his first game. The right guard, Shaq Mason, they acquired him in a trade with Tampa, and he was terrible in pass protection. And then the right tackle, George Fant, wasn't even on the roster until the second week of preseason, and he got hurt and had to leave the game. So I would imagine the Colts front seven, which is good anyway, and that Colts defensive line has dominated the Texans even when the Colts are bad. So I look for Stroud to have to get rid of the ball quick because you see those linemen, the one word they're going to be yelling most is duck. On that note, John, like you said, it. I thought week one, like I said, there was not a lot of deep shots for the most part from C.J. Stroud. It sounds like out of necessity just to get the ball out quick. Do you expect that in week two, even though the Colts' weakness on defense is their secondary, it's still a lot of quick passing game? Well, the problem, throw the ball down the field, you got to have extra time. And he's not going to have extra time, I guarantee you. They didn't run the ball enough. They need to run it more. Damian Pierce, they're, they're really good running back in his second year, touched it only 11 times. And so I would imagine they're going to come out, they're going to get out of the huddle quicker, get to the line quicker, run the ball more against the Colts than they did. Colts, of course, want to put them in second, third, and long, and you'll see the ball coming out. A guy to keep an eye on is their rookie third-round pick, Tank Dell. Tank is 5'8", 165. He's the only receiver who's capable of scoring every time he gets the ball, and he is exciting. He had three catches. Coming off the bench, he had a punt return for 14 yards. He's like a water bug. He was at the University of Houston, led the nation last year in yards and touchdowns, second catches. So he's exciting. Noah Brown, one of their first three receivers, is on injured reserve. People here, not happy about Brown, but certainly happy that Tank Dell should get more touches. I know the relationship here between Richardson and, and Josh Downs was pretty quick. Two rookies coming in together, uh, really hit it off from day one in, in rookie minicamp. Have you seen the same thing with, with Stroud and Dell? Well, it's been more of Stroud and Robert Woods, the 31-year-old veteran who was really good with the Rams, blew out his knee halfway through 2021, struggled last year with the Titans. Now he's all the way back, and uh, sorry, that's my mower mowing our <laughs> backyard. I apologize. And Robert Woods is go-to guy at four third down catches, one wiped out by penalty. He looks for him in situations like that because he knows if it's third and five, Woods will be at five yards, not four and a half. And he and Dale have a good relationship, but I wouldn't say it's like Richardson is having with downs at this point. 
Last question for me, John, is this. You look at the style of play from week one to week two for the Texans defense, right? Lamar Jackson, Anthony Richardson, both guys that are mobile, make plays to their legs, make plays to their arms. You had Jonathan Grenard after the game basically saying that Lamar Jackson made the defense's life easier because Lamar didn't run maybe as much as they anticipated. We saw Anthony Richardson be the leading rusher for the Colts on Sunday against the Jaguars, 10 rush attempts. Do you think going to this game defensively, the mindset is, hey, make Anthony Richardson be a thrower and limit his running? Or do you would you say the opposite? Maybe, hey, look, if he runs 20 times a game and stop passing, it's still a win for us. I think they would rather Richardson run and then contain him. They did a good job except on one run for Lamar Jackson. He had 38 yards on uh, six carries, and one of them was for double figures. But they did a good job of containing him and getting a lot of people after him. Uh, Jonathan Grenard, a veteran in the last year of his contract, had a sack and two hits on a quarterback. He and and Anderson and Jerry Hughes, you know, Jerry Hughes is 35, found the fountain of youth here last year when he came back to home to Houston and led the Texans in sacks. They got those three ends, and they did a really good job of setting the edge and not letting Jackson get outside. When he ran, he had to do it up the middle. And so I'm guessing Richardson, who, you know, is he looks he looks like a tight end, runs like a wide receiver, he's going to be more physical. That's what the Texans keep talking about. Besides his great arm talent of how physical, how athletic he is, and maybe Lamar Jackson was like that early in his career, but I don't ever remember him uh, being as big and physical as Richardson is. I know here the fans – it's going to be a sellout crowd. They're fired up to see Richardson like everybody else is, and they are relieved they don't have to see Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I, I understand that feeling uh, all the way around. My last question, what's the vibe in general right now in Houston? I know here there's some encouragement, you know, young quarterback, that there's maybe a step forward. Uh, but both these teams have been kind of selling rebuilding plans now for, you know, what, four or five years uh, how much patience is there right now? Lots of patience. People wonder, oh, my God, how could they fire David Cully and Lovey Smith after one season? I'm thinking if you saw this team, you would not you would understand it. But most of the national media, they haven't watched this team. There's no reason they would. They've been terrible the last two years. So uh, when they hired D'Amico Ryans, who was wanted by all five teams, including the Colts, to interview, and uh, – he, he interviewed with Denver, canceled the others, told the Panthers, thanks, no thanks. And the Texans love Steichen. They interviewed him. And at one point, I thought they were going to hire him. But when D'Amico Ryans told them that this was his dream job because he played here, his wife's from here, they're building a home here, they were married here, their kids were born here, and they uh, started a home for wayward boys during the pandemic. He wanted to come home. And fans were so excited because he's very inspiring. And when he got the job, fan base was pumped. Media is excited. Former players wanted to suit up and play for him. So people are really pumped. The busiest man in the NFL, podcasting, radio, writing. John, I really do appreciate you joining us here for a few minutes on Behind Enemy Lines. Guys, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Good luck to the Colts this season. All right, John's the best. I, I really do appreciate any time John does come on the pod, George. Um, he was right, by the way. The Colts did not lose week one last year without food poisoning. He he nailed that one. A tie does not count as a loss, so he is all over it. He was dead on it. You know, if Rodrigo Blankenship makes the kick, you know, could could have been a little bit better. But, uh, no, I mean, it, probably the less said about week one from a Colts standpoint last year, the better. True. That's your, you know what? You're right about that. It's Barry 2022 and let's move on. Like you hear John talk about the offensive line and it, I mean, he is not kidding. Kenyon Green, IR. Juice Scruggs, IR. Titus Howard, IR. Um, now you have George Fanny said a right tackle who's barely been on the team. Lammy Tunsil, you heard John questionable, but is expected to play. So the best lineman should be out there, George. But otherwise, basically four to the five on the offensive line is an absolute mash unit. CJ Shroud was sacked five times last week by the Ravens defense. I mean, honestly, if we're talking about anything less than five sacks, George, I would say it's a failure for this defensive line on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, that's the strength of this Indianapolis team right now. And you saw it on Sunday against the Jaguars. And not just the line, the linebackers behind them, that front seven, uh, probably the most consistent, most uh, probably the group you have the most confidence in 
uh, on, on this entire roster right now, just because it's the one group with a lot of guys who have proven it before. I mean, obviously Buckner and Grover are, are probably two of the best uh, at their position, you know, in the league and one of the best duos in the league. And then if Zaire's going to play the way he did on Sunday uh, every week, then, you know, look out because if you have to worry about him and Shaq Leonard, that that's an awful lot banged up offensive line in particular to, to do. Zaire had one of the better lines uh, Wednesday in the locker room when they were talking to him about, you know, just playing in front of that defensive line and how active they've been and, and how strong they've been. And he said, you know, it's, it's great because you know, all those guys are going to win their battles and uh, you just don't worry about, about them up front at all. You can kind of just do your job and then make your job easier. But he said every now and again, uh, when he sees two or three offensive linemen coming at him, he's like, wait a minute, if y'all are blocking me, nobody's blocking Grover. And that that's not a good idea, you know? And I, I think that's, but that's the challenge that any offensive line has against the Colts. And now you're talking about a line that's not been together very much, which I think is even more important than, you know, the talent. Uh, we talk about that all the time. That's a group that's got to play together. So just the fact you've got a lot of guys hurt uh, and you're going to backups is going to be concerning, but then you've got a line that, that, you know, played together last week against uh, Baltimore. And that's probably it. That's probably the extent of their, their chemistry. Uh, and you've got to try to worry about, do you double team DeForest Buckner? And if you do, you know, who's got Quiddy Pay coming off the edge? And you got to worry about these linebackers. And it's it's an awful lot to take in with a rookie quarterback playing behind them. Uh, I just think that's that's an area the Colts absolutely have to dominate if they're going to win the game on Sunday. Without a doubt. And like you said, it's just one of those things where it's a good point, too, not just about the injuries, but also about the, the chemistry. It's like when you hear John talk about all the different times these offensive linemen got hurt. It's all throughout training camp. So it's not like you said, it's like, oh, week one, everyone's hurt. And you have all these backups. But at least the backups have had a preseason game or two to, to mesh. And they've had three or four weeks of training camp to gel and get on the same page communication-wise. It's been plug and play basically since July. And now, like you said, going into week number two, after you allow C.J. Stratton to get sacked five times and have him run for his life for most of the game on Sunday in Baltimore, this Colts defensive line specifically, especially just the four of them, should be able to get consistent and routine pressure. Or if they don't, again, we kind of saw last year, like you can get picked apart, and especially the secondary um, being the weakness of this team. You have to get pressure. And I I actually, I never thought about this, George. But John made a good point and a good observation when it comes to like the 49ers and, and how their defense is so successful. You have a great front seven. You put a lot of high draft picks up front, especially on the defensive line. You don't need a lockdown secondary. Or you don't need premium picks or players in the secondary because their job is made easier when the quarterback is sped up. And so if you're the Colts, look, talent-wise, right, they're not the same as the 49ers, but build-wise, they are. And they have premium picks on the defensive line, but you have impact players at linebacker, and you have later-round draft picks, undrafted for agents in the secondary that now are making plays uh, or and starting for you. Their job on Sunday should be, George, made a lot easier because, like I said, we should be seeing a lot of I don't know if the Colts are going to wear blue jerseys or white jerseys. I was going to say, you see a lot of blue in the backfield, but maybe, you know, because it's weird. Some teams do wear the home jerseys or the white jerseys for the first home game. I don't know what the Texans are going to do. I believe last year in the home opener, they wore white. Either way, you're going to see either a lot. You're going to see a lot of Colts helmets. I should have just simplified it. A lot of Colts helmets in the backfield, chasing CJ, uh, CJ Stroud around on Sunday. Yeah, it's, it's really a non-negotiable part of this game. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's something they were able to do in week one, and we weren't sure going in. We talked about that, you know, if they were going to have a chance to be in that game, they were going to have to get consistent pressure on Trevor Lawrence and not let him sit back and pick that young secondary part, and they did for the most part. You know, I think they, they were able to speed him up a little bit. His numbers overall were good. His completion percentage was good, but there wasn't – you didn't have the feeling like you have in years past that he was kind of sitting back there in a rocking chair, sipping lemonade on the porch and just waiting to pick out, you know, whichever receiver finally came open – Obviously, um, Calvin really had a huge game in the first half, but they were even able to to shore that up in the second half. I went back and looked. He didn't have a catch in the last 26 minutes of that game. So, you know, once they kind of figured things out, they they did a really good job across the board. Uh, we talked before about, yeah, there's 31 points on the scoreboard, but, you know, two touchdowns really aided by a poor kick return, a poor punt return coverage, which Brian Mason really, I think, did a good job of, of – 
you know, discussing what went wrong there. Rookie mistake by Jalen Jones turns his back to the return man. And then they had guys on the other side who were supposed to contain who weren't where they were supposed to be. You can't have breakdowns like that. This team is too young. Uh, there, there's too many things that have to go right for them. You can't have breakdowns like that and, and beat a team as good as Jacksonville. Uh, that set up the go-ahead touchdown. And then obviously the one interception Anthony Richardson threw was in his own territory and set up sort of the, the, the clincher. But if the defensive line and the linebackers play as well as they did Sunday, again, this Sunday, I would feel really confident about the Colts' chances. Agreed. Agreed. We'll get to our game picks here in a little bit. Not to brag, George. We're off to a 1-0 start. Don't let us get hot. We are going for a winning streak here. Um, we will, like I said, one, uh, one second here, we'll give you our game pick. But one other thing I found really interesting from John, uh, George, and that was this. Asking about kind of how the Texans plan on trying to slow down Anthony Richardson. Usually, right, anytime you face a dual-threat quarterback who can run really well and pass really well, you mostly hear defenses say, hey, we want to make him one-dimensional. And usually that is, hey, let's make him a passer. Keep him in the pocket and make him pass the ball 35, 40, 45 times. Don't let him out and run uh, and run a ton. And you hear John McClain basically say, look, the, de- the defense of the Texans, they're going to try to make Richardson run. You know, they're going to try to basically flush him out more and have him be more of a runner than a passer. Are you surprised to hear that in terms of how the the Texans could go about trying to slow down Anthony Richardson here in week two? I think it's pretty similar to what Jacksonville did, honestly. And I think you're going to see some more of it right now because uh, I think what teams are realizing is two things that, you know, probably Shane Sykin calls his superpowers. Uh, Obviously the running ability is, is, you know, off the charts and, and, John did a good job of, of kind of describing that. It looks like a tight end, runs like a wide receiver. You, you're obviously dealing with a freak of nature, you know, in that regard. Uh, but the other thing I think that really scares you about him is the deep ball. I think he's probably already one of the top five deep ball throwers in, in the NFL, uh, just in terms of his ball placement, how far he can put it out there, all the things he can do in that, that area of the game. And so if I'm a defense coordinator, I think I'm going to do exactly what Jacksonville did. I'm going to play a zone. I'm going to drop everybody back. I'm going to keep him in front of me and say, okay, I'll live with 10 carries for 40 yards. That I can I can handle. I don't want 10 for 90, 10 for 100. I don't want, you know, a 40-yard touchdown in there somewhere uh, because that's what I think is going to, you know, really hurt my defense. So I, I think I would be more than happy flushing him out of the pocket, keeping him in front of me and containing that, that part of his game. If it also meant because of the style of defense that I'm playing, I can take – you know, away that deep throw, which I think for Houston is going to be critical. We talked about how banged up they are on the offensive line. Their defensive secondary is equally banged up. And we saw the Colts not really take a lot of deep shots against Jacksonville. Uh, some of that was designed by, by the Jacksonville defense. Some of that is a rookie quarterback still needing to learn, you know, how to read the whole field and exactly where to go. I mean, there's, there's going to be some of that throughout the year. We know that. Uh, but I think this is a game in particular where if you're Shane Steichen, you're looking at that secondary, you're looking at what happened against Jacksonville, uh, and and you're saying, let's be intentional with trying to find Alec Pierce deep somewhere in this game. Let's be intentional with trying to get Josh Downs, you know, maybe behind the secondary. Uh, and and let's, you know, when a deep shot's dialed up, let's make it the first read. And that's the thing we kind of talked about in the open, George, too, about the receivers needing to step up here in, in week two. Like, if if John's projection of how the defense is going to play and like and like you just outlined basically play deep and force everything underneath and basically force you to nickel and diamond to death in order to get down the field and score a touchdown like you got to have a play made and again we kind of talked about after week number one Richardson I think showed you in his first career start he can be patient and if the defense wants to give him 10 yard ins and you know seven yard slant routes he'll take it all day but again this is really a game where because the defense is banged up Derek Stanley is a great player right uh um Great defensive back, but Jalen Petrie, their great uh, safety, looks to be out. I mean, spitting up blood, being in the hospital, George. You talk about even just tough, just the fact he's not already ruled out here as we sit here on Thursday morning. That's that is tough right there. I, I wish I could say the same, but I am absolutely not in that level of uh, tough to say the least. You're shaking your head now. I'm guessing you're the same way, huh? I got a cough and I'm done. I, I'm out for the week. Forget about spitting up blood. Yeah, I may retire. My coach, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> I'm tapping out, put, put my back up in for sure. But it's like, so you have a banged up second day, like make a play. Someone's got to be able to make a play here on Sunday um, and help out your quarterback. And I think that's part of what John was saying. And maybe in a way without saying, it, it's kind of one of those where he does not right now and maybe the Texas defense is not right now 
trust or, or, or frankly, scared of anyone else outside Anthony Richardson. You heard him at least a few times mention, thank God Jonathan Taylor is not playing on Sunday as someone who's always killed the Texans. And then you look around and he goes, yeah, no one. I mean, Michael Pittman Jr. has potential, but he's not really shown anything or, or been consistent enough to have you say, like, oh, we got to stop our entire game plan and make sure 11 can't beat us. Alec Pierce is basically MIA. Josh Downs, outside of a fast start on the first quarter, really did nothing whatsoever. The tight ends were not much of an impact whatsoever. Like, you look around, and it's like there really was. It was Anthony Richardson playing well and kind of no one else. That's how – and like you said, I think teams going to play the Colts offensively like that now for a while until somebody, anybody, can step up and make defenses think twice about basically just dropping back and letting Richardson just kind of do his thing. And part of the reason that they're happy that Jonathan Taylor isn't there, I mean, besides the fact that you're talking about the best offensive player on this team, uh, one of the things the Colts can do to to kind of stop this style of defense is run the ball effectively with the running backs. You know, get some big gains through, because as much as that defense is going to help take away running lanes for the quarterback, you're also not stacking the box as a result of that. And when you're not stacking the box, obviously there's room for running backs to 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 eat. And if you can get... You know, look, Zach Moss had 114 yards in week 18 against this team last time around. Uh, if he can go out there and repeat that, and obviously, we just talked with John McClain, a completely different looking Houston defense than the one they face uh, in week 18 already. You know, just one game under D'Amico Ryan. You've already seen great strides uh, in that run defense. But the Colts need somebody, whether it's Moss, who was a full participant in Wednesday's practice. Fingers crossed he'll be ready to go this week. Whether it's, you know, Jake Funk whether Deion Jackson has a resurrection in this game, they need to go out and and find yardage on the ground from those running backs because that will pull up the defense. It will help those deep shots. It will help the rookie quarterback in so many ways. Uh, and so, you know, to me, that's until either a wide receiver shows that they can run past that zone coverage and get, you know, that 50, 60-yard play that T.Y. Hilton used to be known for every single time he went to his house down there in Houston, or – a running back is able to consistently gouge this defense, put up that hundred yard day. There's no reason for opposing defenses to do anything different. And you look at the game plan Houston had in week number one, they basically said did exactly what Jacksonville did. And you look, even though, and John said it primarily, the Texans are going to try to get pressure with a four man front. So they're not going to try to blitz a ton um, and play, you know, more coverage. The Ravens, who are, again, are an offense for the most part, can run the hell out of the football. I know J.K. Dobbins got hurt, but still, outside of Lamar Jackson, you heard John say 2.5 yards per carry for a running back. Eerily similar, George, to what the Colts did last week outside of Anthony Richardson. And outside of one, there's like a 30 or 35-yard pass to Odell Beckham Jr. that um, was completed. That was really the only deep, explosive play the Ravens had offensively all game. And you're looking around, again, Houston just showed you with, I would argue, better talent in Baltimore compared to right now with the Colts have. They can limit the big play, and if you're not running the ball, they're going to dare you basically to take 10 yards every single time. The Ravens' offense, I thought, was clunky um, on Sunday in their opener, and there's no reason, I think, right now, if they can't run the ball. If Zach Moss can't come in uh, and establish some sort of, of run game or just honestly make the Houston defense honest, it's hard to think right now that you'll get a lot of explosive plays in the passing game. It's going to be a lot of underneath patience from Richardson here again in week two. Yeah, the offensive numbers were eerily similar between the Ravens and the Colts last year, last week. If you look at those two games, uh, very, very similar. The biggest difference is Houston's offense wasn't able to, to really get anything going uh, as opposed to Jacksonville's offense getting enough going to, to win the game on Sunday. So uh, I, I definitely think, you know, the run game's got to happen. And, and, you know, when we look at those similarities – one of the things that hurt Baltimore last week is losing J.K. Dobbins early in that game to the Achilles tendon injury. And so then their run game kind of went the way that the Colts' run game went. And, yeah, it, we, look, when you're one-dimensional in this league, we talked about it way back in the spring, or not spring, but in the, in training camp, uh, when we were talking about the Jonathan Taylor holdout, teams can come in knowing that the, the Colts are one-dimensional. And it just gives you so much more comfort as a defense. It makes it so much more difficult on offense. And that's what we've seen so far from Indianapolis. They have got to find a running game, however that is. You know, if you've got to call up Tyler Goodson and, and get some of that Iowa run game, I don't know what Big it's going to be. You know, um, but they've, they've got to find somebody. Somebody uh, who can carry the ball. And obviously, Zach Moss is is the guy that, that, that they have the most hope for, uh, the most optimism for. Uh, and, you know, it's a good sign he was a full participant. That's a step up. Hopefully it's enough of a step up that he'll be able to play on Sunday. 
Absolutely. Yeah. The, they could use any help right now they can get, especially at the running back position um, as they hope to make a big jump from week one to week two, where again, you do see the biggest leap in the NFL is from that game one to game number two. And hopefully whether it's receivers, whether it's running backs, offensive line, you see somebody make a play here down in Houston that leads to Anthony Richardson's life being a little bit easier. All right, George. So we are hot and look, we're going to use it. It's one game, but we're going to say, cause last year was such a disaster. We're hot right now. We're one and zero, undefeated sitting pretty in the penthouse. Let's see if we can make it two and zero. Colts. The betting line has shifted, George. We talked about it on Tuesday's pod as we were recording. The Texans earlier in the week were favored. Now the line has shifted. Maybe the Sharps are coming in. Colts now a one-point favorite going down to, as you mentioned, T.Y. Hilton's house here. Who wins? Well, not the fans. I'll say that right. <laughs> I agree with John. It's going to be a pretty dull. I mean, just, just look, if it, things play out the way they did last week for both of these teams, it's probably going to be a pretty dull game. Um, you know, and, but I'm going to go with Indianapolis, uh, for the simple fact that I trust as much as this Colts offense has struggled, I trust them to come up with a big play a little bit more than I do Houston right now, uh, simply because of the offensive line issues that the Texans have. So I think it's more likely that the Colts get something like that 39 yard touchdown to, to Michael Pittman at some point in this game, uh, than it is that, that the Texans get the game changing play. Now, how much confidence do I have in that? Not a tremendous amount, uh, but I, I do trust them a little bit more. I'm going to go Indianapolis by the thrilling score of 16 to 10. 16 to 10. A lot of field goals. Matt Gay, get that leg warmed up. Been um, a lot of to get him out there and, and let him kick. You are right about that. Get your investment finally go, <laughs> going for once after only uh, kicked three field goals um, on Sunday's opener. I'm going to go 20 to 10. So – Look, same right, same thing. I think the Colts get one extra touchdown, but I think the Colts do win this game. Um, for in two reasons. Number one, I do think that I mean defensively, look, CJ Stroud should be running for his life. CJ Stroud, when you see that offensive line, how banged up they are, I don't think they'll be uh, able to establish a run game. Goes so kind of similar to Week One against the Ravens, where Damian Pierce was held in check, and it was basically you had CJ Stroud attempting forty-four passes. It was very lopsided run pass. Um, differential. I think we'll see a lot of that here in week number two, where the Colts should get a lot of pressure and a lot of pressure without blitzing, which that's obviously ideally what they want to do. Um, and I just don't think right now the weapons offensively for Houston is able to take advantage of really a weak Colt secondary, kind of like the way we saw Calvin Ridley do in week number one. Just not talented enough, not healthy enough. So defensively, the Colts should put the clamps on um, and 10 points absolutely I think was in realm. And offensively, Look, I don't think we'll see a big explosion or see, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. or Alec Pierce go for 150 yards. I do think we'll see a little bit better passing game. I do think, here's one. We will see an explosive play, George, of 25 yards or more in the passing game. I think we'll finally get one. Houston will try their best to limit it. I think one, though, will sneak through. Richardson looks calmer and wins the battle of top five QBs. 20 to 10, Colts win. We both are in agreement. Week one, Jaguars win. We got that right. Both now in agreement week two. Colts win, George. Hopefully go 2-0. Okay, well, we all got more wins than the Colts in week one in, in the last 10 years. So now we're going to try and, and get off to the 2-0 start and see how this goes. So you're saying a 20-plus pass without a screen pass, 20-plus yard pass, or 25-plus yard pass without a screen pass. Uh, my big bold prediction will be Shaq Leonard's going to get a takeaway in this one. Ooh, the maniac is fully back, huh? Yeah, I think he's going to – down there at T.Y.'s house, he's going to make a, a big play. And, I, and I, I'll even go so far as to say he's going to make it fairly early and get the juice coming for, for the Colts on that side of the ball. A shock punch, maybe? I love that. The O to the peanut punch. Now let me ask you this. If he gets a turnover post game, do we get the T.Y. Hilton clown mask? It's a good question. I wonder where that is. I mean, Michael Pittman right now has an alien mask in, in his locker that he's had for uh, a couple of years. I don't know, you know, it's a time. It's there is, I will say this. They added in in the hallway on the way out to the practice field from the locker room out to the practice field. They added like a series of, I don't know what you'd call them, great moments of Colts history. A lot of them are recent though. So it's not all the way past yet. And you can obviously tell that they're they're still working on it. It's a brand new project. Uh, But one of them is the clown mask game. So it's, it's memorialized in, in the building. Uh, but I don't know where the actual mask is. That, that, that's a good question. 
I'm sure too. I has it somewhere in his in his house, somewhere in his possession. So hopefully, whether he's mailing it, whether he wants to hand deliver it either to the facility before they leave, or maybe you send it to the stadium, uh, and and they'll I'm sure know what to do with it and know who it's for. But I think absolutely that should be a, a yearly tradition, George. Anytime you go down to Houston, the T.Y. Memorial or I don't know about more because it makes it sound like he's dead, but he's well alive. The T.Y. Hilton, let's say honorary clown mask has to be given to the MVP of the game only down in Houston. I think it's only right. So hopefully if you're right about Shaq getting a turnover um, early in the game, has to. Has to have the the clown mask post game. You should be talking to him through that. Right, you know. <laughs> through that I'm, hideous I'm, thing. Giving a lot of love to Marvin Harrison lately with, with good reason. Uh, you know, star for Marv. But... Eugene Hilton's out there too. I think he's going to be a senior this year in high school. So he's getting ready to make his college choice. And you know, maybe what, five years from now, Harrison Hilton passing combo Ooh. in Indianapolis. I mean, you know, why not? Let's let just get them all. I like that. I like that. Double H. Something we got. We'll get, we'll think of it. We have plenty of time to think of a good, a good nickname for those two. Hopefully when they're both Colts and both still tearing up the league, like their fathers did uh, in Colts uniforms. But Hey, right now the future is now, right, George? Big week two game against the Texans down in Houston. We're both predicting a Colts win. Finger crossed we are our right. And we are talking about a one-on-one team after week number two. As a reminder, make sure, especially if you haven't now, subscribe to our YouTube page, Blue Horseshoe Podcast. That is every single Sunday where our, our instant reaction post-game show will be held live on YouTube. We're going to go live after each and every Colts game on Sunday. So if you listen to the podcast, again, I know it's a little inconvenient, but check us out on YouTube. That is where our uh, post-game pods will be located after every game. So enjoy the game. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Sunday, hopefully after a Colts win right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.